you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the third gospel, the gospel of Luke, this morning home. And all the messages are on our website, if you'll go to the website, if you'll go to the particular place that will direct you to our messages, you can hear them all. But today's message, more of faith, less of family. More of faith, less of family. Luke chapter 14, the words of Jesus beginning with verse 26 and 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, hate not his wife and his children, hate not his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does bear his cross and come after me, who does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Those are pretty profound words, aren't they? We're going to be talking about them in just a moment. The park rangers asked of hikers to share their opinions and suggestions on the hiking trails of a particular park in Wyoming. They wanted to know what the hikers thought. Well, they got a lot of response back from the hikers. And this is actual responses, by the way. I couldn't make this stuff up. This is what the hikers suggested to the park rangers to make the hiking experience better at this particular park. Ready for these? If you're ready or not, here they come. Stop building hiking trails that go uphill. Make all the hiking trails flat or decline. <laughs> Spray the hiking trails, another said. Spray those trails. Too many bugs and spiders and leeches. I like this one. Tell the coyotes to stop howling at night. I'm sure, coyote, be quiet, I'm trying to sleep. Another said, a bear came into my tent and eat all my food. Can I get reimbursed? <laughs> Another comment given to the park rangers was, the hiking trails need to be lighted for night hiking. Can you imagine that? Walking the hiking trails, you got the big lights overhead. <laughs> Another said, could escalators be installed <laughs> for the steep inclines? If you can't eliminate them, give us escalators so we can ride up to the top. Another person said, there's too many rocks and trees on these paths. Could you thin them out? <laughs> and this is my favorite. This is the best. Would it be possible, just maybe possible, that you could put a McDonald's at the trailhead? <laughs> the golden arches out in the middle of nowhere. Well, when I was reading these, and I'm sure as you're listening to these, you can see that there's many people who want to have the outdoor experience of hiking. 
They want to be in the sun. They want to smell the fresh air. They want to get the exercise. They want to be in nature, in the wilderness. But they want to do it in a way that's not inconvenient, not uncomfortable, and doesn't have any personal cost to it. Did you hear me? People who want to be hikers, they want to have the hiking experience. They want to bask in the sunshine. They want to smell the fresh air. They want to, to, to enjoy nature. They want to see the wildlife. But they want to do it without any inconveniences, any uncomfortableness, or any personal cost. Now, I told you all of that to say this. Hikers like this are just like many Christians today who desire to want to experience Jesus. They want to be a disciple of Jesus. They want to be like Jesus. They want to walk with Jesus. They want to make a difference in this world before they go to be with the Lord. They want to do that. But they want to do it on the cheap. They want to do it on the easy. They want to do it on their schedule, their way. Not his. And that pretty much summarizes Christianity today. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be like him to be lost in his presence, to be found in his likeness. I want to be like him. I want to walk with him. I want to follow him. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to influence and impact people before I leave. I want to leave this world better than when I entered it. But I want to do it on my schedule. I want to do it my way. I want to do it on the cheap. I want to do it on the easy. And ladies and gentlemen, you can't do it that way. Jesus, in our verses that we just read, he drops a bombshell on those who wanted to be his disciples. Everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd. He was a magnet. He drew people. And everybody wanted to follow Jesus for various reasons. But Jesus is coming to the cross. And things are now going to change a little bit. The miracles are going to decrease. The hardships are going to increase. The teaching is now going to be less. The burden is going to be greater. And Jesus now says to them, if any man, put your name there, if any man wishes to come to me, if any man wishes to follow me, he must first hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters. He must even hate his own self. If he's not willing to do that, he cannot follow me. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever will not bear his cross like I will bear mine one day, he cannot come after me or follow me either. He cannot be my disciple.
I don't know if you've ever heard a bomb falling from the sky. Mr. You in the military probably had. It has a whistling sound. Well, you could hear the whistling sound when Jesus said that. And you can hear the explosion even now. Because what he just said rocked and shook the crowd that day. Unless you are willing to love me more than you love your family, so much that your love for me almost seems like you hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you're willing to love me more than you love yourself, and your love for me will be so pale in comparison to your love for yourself that it almost seems like you hate yourself. You can't be my disciple. Unless you're willing to live for me and to die for me, unless you're willing to carry a cross like I'm going to carry, a symbol of suffering and shame, and it will come with it, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you're willing to become a dead man walking, you can't be my disciple. You ever heard that expression, a dead man walking? There was a book written some years ago by that title, Dead Men Walking. It's a story of those that are on death row in penitentiaries all across our country. And how those men on death row, when their time is up, they're taken from their cell and they're led down a short corridor to the execution chamber. It tells about how those that are on death row whose time isn't up watch the process. They watch the protocol, the parade, if you will, from the cell of the one to be executed to the chamber where it will take place. And those on that death row, they point at the man who's going by them and they say he's a dead man walking. You know what they mean? He's alive right now. But he's as good as dead. He's living, but he's as good as dead. Because very soon his time is going to be up. And that's what Jesus calls of those who want to be his disciples. We become dead men walking. We're dead to self. We're dead to our families. We're dead to the calls of this world. We're walking with Jesus. And we understand that walk is going to probably take us some places we don't want to go and may require even the giving of our life. Dead men walking. Dead men walking. As we look at our church today, as we look at Christianity today, we don't see a lot of disciples. We do see people that are saved, but we don't see a lot of disciples. Saved people are regular gas. Disciples are high octane, white gas. Y'all remember that from years ago? The Amico station, white gas, that's what disciples are. They're 98 octane. 
You just don't see a lot of disciples anymore. We see a lot of casual fans, but we don't see a lot of committed followers. Say, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about 6 o'clock tonight. I'm talking about 7 o'clock Wednesday night. Casual fans, but not committed followers. Sunshine patriots, but not all-weather soldiers. Part-time church attenders, but not full-time, all-the-time worshipers. Bandwagon neutrals, who can go either way, depending on the music of the hour, but not stay the course allies. Whimsical, wishy-washy crowds who want to be entertained. Not strong, determined loyalists who are willing to follow Jesus no matter what. You see, the church and many Christians today have sunk to the level of mediocrity. And we're very comfortable there. That's what's so sad and tragic. But Jesus was calling those of his day out of mediocrity to greatness, out of the valley to the mountain, out of the lows to the highs. How not just to be saved, but to be something special for God. And it's interesting that Jesus is using family as an illustration and he's tying it to faith. Family was important to Jesus. It was foundational to the people of that day and to him himself. But it was not to be the foremost thing. Family is foundational, but it's not to be the foremost thing. Families are the structure that God put in place to feed disciples into the church, who then would be fed into the community, who then would be fed into the nation. So in many ways, the family and the home is important because it's the feeder system. Just like the C team feeds the B team, the B team feeds the junior varsity, the junior varsity feeds the varsity. The, the family, the home is the feeder system. And when the family goes awry, because we put the wrong emphasis on the family, then you're not going to see a lot of disciples in the church or anywhere else. As I look at families today, we often see two extremes. Both of them are counterproductive to making disciples. Okay? The first extreme when it comes to family is family is nothing. Family's nothing. It's not a big deal. Who cares? We see it today in dropout daddies, missing moms, gone grandparents, and children that have no control or direction. You go into these homes where the family is really no nothing, and what do you find? You find a stifling, controlling, abusive, and scary atmosphere. You find a place where names are called. 
outrageously called. You find a place where brutality is exhibited. The parents toward the children, and when the children get older, they pay the parents back. You find a place of profane and vulgar language that's constantly being spouted. Degrading and demeaning atmosphere and words. In other words, in these homes where family is not important, I should say houses where families are not important, they're not homes. The devil's there because they're a living hell. And out of these kind of homes, you will never see a disciple or very seldom see a disciple. And yet we're seeing more and more of those homes. And I tell you, if something doesn't change, what is called the extreme will be the norm in 10 years. Now remember, I'm talking to you about the family because Jesus talked about its importance. Out of the family comes disciples. It's the launching pad. But yet if you have families that see family as not important, it's no big deal, it's irrelevant, it's inconsequential, and they treat each other like such, you're not going to see any disciples. No Jesus, no disciples. But then you have another problem. And maybe this is even the worst problem. You see families where family is nothing. The home is just a place to hang your hat, fuss and fight, cuss and fuss. Who cares? Everybody goes their own way. But on the other side, there's families that make family everything. Some families make family nothing and they treat each other such. But other families make family everything. And every decision they make is based solely on family. I see that a lot. Today we see the patriarch, dad. We see the matriarch, mom. And we see the kiddiarch, the kids. You say, pastor, is that a word? It is today. The kitty ark. You know what the kitty ark is? The kids rule. The entire family, the center and circumference of the entire family is on the kids. Their schedule over every other schedule. Their needs, their desires, their dreams over every other need, desire, and dream. Their activities, their programs, their games supersede everything else. What they want, they get. We don't say no to them. We'll say no to everybody else, but not no to them. Everything revolves around them. They come ahead of marriage. They come ahead of finances. They come ahead of of vacations, they come ahead of, of health, they come ahead of church, they come ahead of Jesus. And these kind of homes where family is everything, Jesus is there, 
but he's second place. A second place Jesus. Because if the kids have a game, we're going to the game and we're missing Jesus. If the kids have an activity or a program, we're missing the activity and program. No, we're not missing that. Jesus will miss. If we've got to cut back, we'll cut back out of our tithe. If we've got to cut back service, we'll cut back our service for Jesus. Because these kids are coming first. Jesus, we know you understand you can't ride in the front seat, Jesus. You go to the back. A second place, Jesus. Where family is everything. A no Jesus where family is nothing. And both of those kind of families which are becoming more the norm than the extreme do not present disciples. People who are raised in a no Jesus home, they, they're lucky to find salvation. Must let's become disciples. And people who are raised in a second place Jesus home They're raised to tip their hat to him, but not to bend the knee to him. They're raised to give him the leftovers. We eat the entree. And both are deadly to making disciples. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Are you listening to him? It's important that you love your spouse, but your love for your spouse can't supersede me. You're supposed to love your children and your grandchildren, but your love for your children and grandchildren can't supersede me. You need to love your brothers and sisters, but your love for them cannot supersede me. You need to love yourself, and most of us do a pretty good job of that. But your love for yourself can't supersede me. You can't tell everybody else yes and tell me no. I'm the yes always, and everything falls under me. Everything. Understand, the Lord understands the importance of home. He created the home, you know that? He married Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He established the first home. He blessed the first home. He ordained the first home long before he did government or the church. So the home is foundational. It's good. It's necessary. It's of God. But you can't allow it to come ahead of him. Today we need more faith and less family sometimes. I'll just give you some closing principles. You'll get out early today if that's okay with you. 8.30 crowd, they complained. So I preached a message twice to them. You know, you never win when you preach a shorter message. You preach too short, people say they didn't get their money's worth. Preach too long, then they get grumpy. Some principles 
think about. If you allow your home or make your home by the way you do things, a battleground, and you treat everybody in your home like an enemy, the chances of your family being dysfunctional in this life and damned in the next is very good. If you allow your home to become a no-Jesus home, if you allow your home to become a battleground where mom and daddy fights all the time, and the children fight with the parents, and the parents fight with the children, and there's just an atmosphere of chaos and conflict, if you allow that to happen, I can almost assure you that there will be dysfunction in this family on this side and damnation for your family on the other. It's very important that we have Jesus in our home. But it's also very important that we make Jesus first in our home if he's going to be there. There's nothing more destructive than to say, oh, how I love Jesus with a but at the end of it. But. We will follow Jesus, but. We will do this. You see, you love him first, period. You follow him first, period. You serve him first, period. You give to him first, period. You worship him first, period. You witness for him first, period. But principle number two is, if, if you make your home an altar and you put your children on the altar, and you worship little Johnny and little Debbie, I tell you this, your home will suffer for it. Your marriage will suffer for it. Because when the kids leave the home and it's just you and your husband, just you and your, your wife, you're not going to know how to live together because you poured all your lives into your children. Your children will grow up to be narcissistic. Everything's about me. And it will show in the way they act toward others. Your faith will struggle. As you made choices for others other than Jesus, it, it will affect your faith. And the overall consequence is those who are in your family will learn that Jesus is a deal, but he's not the big deal. He's a priority, but he's not the top priority. He can ride in the car, but he gets in the back seat. Because our family comes ahead. Both of those families know Jesus, second place Jesus, produce no disciples, or very few. Third principle, if you make Jesus the Lord of your home, if you put Jesus first, ladies, you'll be the best wife and mother to your husband and children they've ever had. 
Sir, if you'll put Jesus first in your life, you'll be the best husband and father your wife and children have ever had. You'll make your home heavenly when you make Jesus Lord. When Jesus is sitting on the throne of your castle, the flags of peace and joy and hope will fly overhead. It don't take long to see a home where Jesus is Lord. His presence is seen and heard and experienced very quickly. And vice versa. It doesn't take long to find a home where Jesus isn't Lord. Because likewise it's seen and heard and experienced as well. Principle number four. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a family. Maybe you don't have a home. I'm conscious of the fact that some of you are single. Others of you are divorced. Some of you are widowed. Some of you now are going through the empty nester syndrome. Maybe some of you were raised in families that are so dysfunctional and disabled that you've just had to get away from them and you're essentially by yourself now. Well, if that's you, I want you to know this. There's a God in heaven who wants to be your father. There's a group of believers in a local church like this one that want to be your family. To those of you that are fatherless, I give you the Lord. To those of you that have no family, I give you this church and this congregation. You have a place where you can be accepted and received and encouraged and inspired and loved for who you are, not who somebody wants to make you to be. Jesus, if any man wishes to come to me and be my disciple, they have to put me ahead of their family. They have to love me so much that it's, just, it's as if they hated the father and the mother, the wife and the children, the brothers and sisters, even themselves. They have to love me so much that they're willing to endure the criticisms that come when you pick up the cross and say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm not going to cave in to mediocrity and Christianity or to the ways of the world. Buttermilk rises to the top. And so do disciples. And the rest sink to the bottom. I don't know what kind of home that you have. I don't know who you are in many ways, nor you me. But if our homes are a home where there's no Jesus, we need to make a difference, and we need to make it now. If our homes are a homes where second place Jesus is, we need to change that and change it now. If we're content with mediocrity, just enough to get to heaven, no more, no less, 
We need to change that now. We are living in the final days of history and God has given us the privilege to see things that the prophets wrote of, the apostles wrote of, He Himself spoke of. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you, if you don't get a thrill about that, but I do. We are seeing things that others dreamed of seeing. It's happening before our very eyes. There's some of us here today who probably will never see the undertaker. We're going with the upper taker. We're waiting on the trump of God. It's going to blow one day. Let's make a difference now while we can. You say, but pastor, I, we've had no Jesus in my home for so long, I don't know if I can change it. No, you can't, but he can. Jesus has been second place in my home, pastor, for years. You can change it, and you can change it now. Yes, you're going to get criticized. Yes, people are going to think you're crazy. That's okay. They criticized Jesus and thought he was crazy. So you're in good company. We can change. You don't have a father, you can have a father. The Lord. You don't have a family, you can have a family. The church. Things can change for you. But we've got to do it. 95% of the people that come to me, probably Debbie too, and who want counseling, don't do it. That's really why counseling, I, I don't care to do it much anymore. You tell people, they tell you this is the situation, you give them recommendations, what they can do to make things better, to change things, to improve things. And they sit there and they shake their head. And then they'll come back and see you in a year, and guess what? Same old, same old. Two years, same old, same old. Third year, same old, same old. On the fourth year, I can tell them don't come. I'll just push the tape recorder. I'll listen to it from the first three years. Pastor, you tape everything in your office? I had to say that. Some of y'all are turning. <laughs> y'all are a good-looking congregation. I don't like you looking green, though. <laughs> but change is important. If we do it, what's impossible for man is possible. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.